Welcome to the Good Fight Tattoo podcast. Here's your opportunity to eavesdrop on the conversations and stories that are told whilst tattooing in our studio in London. There will be adult themes and strong language, so listener discretion is advised. With that out of the way, we hope you enjoy the podcast. In this episode, I talk with my customer about his queer performance art, attitudes towards and within the LGBT plus community, and if there is a growing necessity for tattoo studios to brand themselves as safe spaces. Anytime I question the views expressed in this podcast is only to try and get a better understanding of the subject. So we were talking earlier, Carl. Yes. About why you were getting this tattoo. Um, the reason I'm getting this tattoo is just because of my interest in surrealist art. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always had an interest in the idea of surrealist art and psychoanalysis and the idea of like dreams and images not matching up. Yeah. And I use it a lot in my own performance art and live art work. What sort of thing do you do as performance art? Um, we didn't even talk about that before. You said about it and then we just glossed over it and got onto other stuff. In my performance art? Yeah. Um, you comfortable like that? Yeah. In my um, performance art, I do um, a lot of stuff around drag and um, the dichotomy between religion and queerness um, and how um, politically and uh, socio-historically there's always... Are you good to go, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, good to go. There's always um, issues where... People don't um, see. Um, there's so many normative things where they both work in transgression with each other right, and so break laws. First things first. You'll have to excuse me for being a little bit idiotic. I don't know what dichotomy means. Um, so dichotomy. The word dichotomy means um, putting against two opposing forces or ideas or right. systems that tend to work against so each that, other. So that makes sense as to why you'd, you'd go with religion and queerness yeah. as going and against each other. A dichotomy is placing them against each other and looking at similarities, differences, and trying to create a discourse and say, well, how do they work in antagonise each other and work together? So what sort of things do you find as similarities within the two? Um, so firstly, I suppose, what is your definition of queerness? Because um, it's different for everyone, or it seems yeah. to be. Um, for queerness, I define queerness as something that um, goes against any binaries that are set. So there's obviously a lot of um, loaded terms against uh, homosexuality, which... Um, what societally or to do with in, religion? In, in society and religion, because um, I think the learned practice um, and the fact that a lot of schools are religious establishments or connected to the church Mm -hmm. Um, and that system being brought up in with a religious parent and in a Church of England school um, as a queer kid it was there was constantly a for me a haze of what I'm being taught versus what you feel um, versus what I feel. So have you always identified as queer from a young age? Yeah, um, 
I came out um, to everyone um, at about the age of 11, 12. Right, okay. Um, but what did you come out as at 11 or 12? Um, I came out as um, homosexual. Right, okay. So that's so that's different as like coming out as being queer. Yeah. So what is it that sort of has changed your definition now, where you identify as queer rather than homosexual? Um, education okay. and educate myself on. Can I get you to bend your wrist back yeah. a little? Yeah. Perfect. Um, educate myself on my own policies and views and laws, and growing up as an adult and finding a sense of my own identity Mm -hmm. um, and living alone in education, what I'm studying, it's all shaped how I identify and how I choose to perform Mm -hmm. forwardly to other people. So if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? Me, I'm 22. 22, okay. Fair enough. So what sort of performance work do you do? Like if you could sort of describe it like a... I know it's difficult. Uh, it's like asking a band what they sound like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for me, um, performance and live art tends to create... You're trying to create art with a body in time and space um, and create a narrative um, that um, for yourself um, and um, often with performance art, you're trying to blur... The distinctions between art and life, right? Okay. In what in what sense? So, what are you trying to sort of see how life imitates art and art imitates life? Yeah, through the use of your body and um, materials, and using your body as a material. For example, piercings, tattoos, is a way I choose to perform my identity and outcase that. So, okay. That's so your so your identity is pretty important to you. Yeah, it's massively important. It's a massive part of, um, like, how I'm headstrong, uh, how I lead my way, my sexuality, my gender, um, and, like, my questionings around both um, and stuff like that. So my identity has shaped me as a person in comparison to what I've been taught and learned um, through systems like school and parenting and it tends to be my life is completely opposite to what um, I was kind of brought up to be. Yeah. So, so as a question from, you know, I'm pushing 40. So as yeah. a question from someone who's pushing 40, do you think you'll change from now? Or do you think you've, you've sort of sorted your personality, your identity um, out, and that will continue with you for the rest of your life? I, don't, I wouldn't say I would ever say I'm set in my way mm. because... Like I said, the idea of like art and life, and it's performative. Uh, things change, situations change. Um, I don't think I'll ever change my sexuality. No, and I'd assume. I'd assume by now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and like the idea of like gender being performative, which is discussed by the scholar Judith Butler. Uh, it's like a construct. Sex is the biological thing, and gender is something that's a construct of uh, a banner of where you perform. Um, um, I mean, only in modern gender politics. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, historically, gender was just to define your your genitals at birth, because it comes from it all comes from the same Latin terms, doesn't it? So that's where it, that's what it was originally intended. Modern gender politics, uh, as far as I understand it, came around sometime in the late 60s, early 70s. Is that right? Yeah, they did. Um, and there's some discussions before that as well. But a lot of the modern stuff is from then. But um, um, if you look into a lot of like medical reports, there is like a confusion between what they are. Because when you apply for jobs or on medical reports, a lot of the time when it says, what's your sexuality, for yeah. example, uh, transgender is one of the options. But then that isn't something to do about your sexual attraction. Being trans, that's something to do with how you want to perform your gender. So then there's that, obviously, distinction where there's a blurring of where does it sit. And So, uh, so the, the whole discussion around gender and, um, and how people uh, identify themselves, essentially, to me, seems to be the difference between gender being part of your personality and who you define yourself as a character, your own opinion of yourself, whereas your sex is what you are physically, biologically. Yeah, right. and that's why a lot of um, trans people take the label like um, female to male or male to female trans because they understand that their biological sex at birth isn't of what they perform as their gender. Right, because I think what a lot of people seem to confuse is the difference, uh, I think probably a lot of people who have nothing to do with the subject confuse the idea of like what you're, as you put it, performing, so your identity as to who you are and how people perceive themselves biologically. Yeah. So I think where people get confused with the whole discussion is they assume that when people say I'm female when they have a biologically male body is that people assume that what they're saying is they biologically have a female body when they have a male body. Yeah, which a lot of them... Mo all of them aren't saying and a lot of media is created to um, I think a lot of the issues that seem to have uproar aren't as uproar as people care as being part of that community um, you see that um, a lot of it is put upwardly and it just makes that any issue that we do put forward that is serious or rights, human rights towards people of colour or um, people of the LGBT BTQ plus community, anything suddenly just eradicated and wiped off as, um, as like it's not um, worth the, listening to. Yeah, I think the problem with that is uh, probably extremists, <laughs> because you get extremists of all forms, and people who are extreme about those sorts of things make it then very difficult for everyone to take anyone who's not extreme and who wants to talk and discuss things reasonably. To, yeah. to, it makes it difficult to take that seriously. And normally the people that tend to canonise these um, um, minorities that are the extremists or people that fight for extreme left or extreme right views are the people that are normative, which is, tends to be cisgendered, heterosexual, white people. So when you say cisgendered, yeah. what does that mean to you? Cisgendered to me is someone who... Um, in the performance of their gender, identifies with their biological sex and doesn't question or question their gender performativity because there's also questioning it, there's also acting on it mm. and stuff like that. And for me, cisgender is someone who aligns with their biological sex and performs their gender in line with that. So how do you perform? How how do you perform your gender? What does that mean to you? Um, 
it's a mixture of... Um, it's, it's a term that I think a lot of people aren't yeah. going to be familiar with or really necessarily understand. Um, for me, gender performativity comes from the performance of um, feelings and emotions um, to subconscious, often seen in surrealism stuff. That's why I'm a massive fan of surrealism. Mm -hmm. So your subconscious um, thoughts and feelings and outwardly to fashion, fashion uh, and self-identity... Um, and vanity is a massive part of how you want to express your gender as well. Because, like, to me, this is one of the things that I don't understand about it, is how it's any different from your personality, as in, like, uh, so if I identify as a punk, or if someone identifies as a rockabilly, or how they identify in that term, Yeah. how it's any different. Because, for me, punk um, is a trend, and... It's a trend that in itself is set. And in what way do you mean it's a trend? Um, so, for me, it's a thing where punk, even though it, it deals with the themes, again, of emotions, feelings, um, fashion... Um, it's also, also to a lot of people an ethos as to how they live their entire life and continue yeah. to do so throughout their adulthood and... Like, I would identify myself as being someone who comes from the punk scene. I wouldn't necessarily identify myself as being punk now. But I definitely yeah. am. I have punk leanings and I have punk sensibilities. And that has, is something that is yeah. part of my identity and continues throughout my life. Yeah, punk as a scene was very, like, transgressive, as in it tried to push boundaries of um, politics, fashion, um, and So, in which case, how music. is it different? Um, whereas, and these are all things that um, I think can shape a person, but the difference is when something is something that you adapt, and there's a difference between what's genetic and what's material. Well, and a lot of the stuff from uh, people with trans or intersex people um, is chromosomes and your actual genetic makeup. Um, so with intersex people, yeah, I could understand that. But like with someone who, if you don't exhibit any um, biological sort of uh, pointers of being intersex, then it's to do with how you identify yourself as you know your character to me, as yeah. to how you perceive the world and how you go through the world. So how is it then, as you identify as being queer? Yeah. If you don't have any of the, and I don't know if you do or not. And me speaking for like, there's obviously an issue with me speaking now about uh, the trans community because I don't identify as trans, so I can't speak for trans people. Um, I can speak on the knowledge that I've learned through um, of course. education, but obviously my opinion is just as unjust as anyone else's that because I don't personally identify with that market, so. So what is your perception of it then? Because uh, all I'm asking really, and all this podcast really is, is just people's viewpoints and their opinions. So it's, it's essentially your viewpoint on that. Why would that be any different as identifying as being punk? From Just from your perspective. Um, from my perspective it is, because um, I think gender is such an, an innate thing um, that comes from, like I said, it's something that you can't control within regards to your genetic makeup because genetic makeup does control um, hormones and ideas of like serotonin and 
So, so, so now we're getting at it from a biological point of view. Biological point of view, yeah. So when we talked about it before, you were saying that like, and I'm not like just saying this to try and trip you up, but you were, you yeah. were saying that it's not a biological thing. It's, a, it's, it's how you perform your, yourself, how you perform in life. How, so then how has it become suddenly a biological thing when it was a performance thing? That's, yeah. I'm not sure I understand. Yeah, I think that I do, um, like I say, reiterate that I can't speak for anything, but I think the idea that um, the only way that system allows us to act upon um, these urges is through the construct of the performance. Mm-hmm. And, but obviously... So you, what you essentially what it sounds like you're saying is that it's biological things that are innate within you that then make you perform how you are. Yeah. So what evidence would there be that it's biological within you? Um, obviously, I've had issues with questioning um, my gender identity, and that came from me personally. When I went to the doctors, I had an imbalance of hormones. Um, Right, so um, if you don't mind me asking, so you hadn't, and only if you don't mind me asking, obviously it's very personal information to you. Yeah. When you say an imbalance of hormones, what do you mean? Do you mean like um, testosterone to estrogen? Yeah, yeah. So in what way did you have an imbalance of hormones? It was a thing where, obviously I couldn't control it, it was a thing of my own genetics and it just happened. Um, I still do have an imbalance, but um, I got put on medication, which is actually for female breast cancer patient right um which is called tamoxifen uh and it's the purpose of that it was to reduce the estrogen because um breast cancer is obviously an overload of um estrogen and other hormones and there's a hormone imbalance within this tissue and i had a lot of issues with that so it was an idea to either level that out or imbalance it to make testosterone higher Lost, uh, a lot of people who take steroids end up taking uh, estrogen blockers because when you cycle off of steroids, your body then doesn't create as much testosterone as it, sh- as it normally would yeah. be because you've been overloading it. That's why I did a course, and it was through the NHS, and I did a course of this um, medication for three months. Right. W- obviously, like it's sort of difficult for you to sort of say, but do you think that's the same for a lot of people who identify as being all sorts of different parts of the LGBT community. Do you think that's a common thing within within that within the community? Um, I think the issue is um, there's no black or white, yeah. uh, which I think a lot of people want. They want a yes or no answer, and the idea that um, it is a mixture of. Um, biological things and genetic makeup and chromosomes and a mixture of social learnt performance from um, from growing up. I don't think... So do you mean like societal uh, ideas y- of how men and women behave? Yeah, ideals and how you react to that and how you decide. And I think people don't grasp that so that's possible to have a working relationship between the two. So to, to ask a question, right... Mm. Um, and there's a lot of different different opinions on this. Do you think there's anything that is innately a male trait or innately a female trait? Um, other than 
other than how your body biologically, sex-wise, uh, genitalia, and the form of your body, I personally don't think so. Because there's a lot Not of studies, like but from a clinical lot psych- psychologists, that would say that there are. Yeah, within. Expressly male traits and expressly female traits. Like specifically, one of the things that commonly comes up as an expressly male trait is assertiveness. Yeah, I think there is things within, like again, that's more leaning towards like the social and learned things and how you. So choose. you think that's a social thing? You think that's learned? Yeah, because um, I think a lot of people. Uh, there's two um, scholars called um, Deborah Cameron and Don Kulik, who. Um, wrote a book called Language and Sexuality um, and stuff like that and then there's also people other people within uh, their peers like Penelope Eckert and they discuss that people around the age of like three to four once they've got a sense of how people and their parents perform they start to copy um, the performance of their parents or the one that they seem to identify more with so, what's the, that's what are these people's backgrounds as to who they are and what they do? Uh, the like people that I mentioned, yeah, they're all um, scholars that work within uh, social science, psychology, gender studies um, field, right? And all teach uh, and all have PhDs and all work within um, universities across the UK and US. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing because it's something that I don't really n- understand fully. Um, yeah. I don't know where I sit I don't on think it. anyone does, and that's the issue. Um, I think even people who identify as that, myself, I'm, I'm assured within who I am at this moment, but that doesn't mean I'm fully fleshed yeah. out, and I don't think I ever will be because I'm always going to take things on from new learned experiences. Absolutely. So. Everyone should continue to evolve all through their life, and and learn new things and change as a human being. Everyone should. If you don't, there's something wrong. Yeah. You know, you should be you should be continually learning. You should be continually gaining more experience. Um, one of the things that, like, I think is interesting is how much now social media and even the making of laws yeah. is bending around. Because this seems to me to be a much younger generation that are doing most of the talking about this. Um, yeah, I think it's because the idea of like education and acceptance and what's come along and a lot of people um, that are going into higher education seems to be this generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and because people, again, socially are um, evolving new ideals and values it's that whole progress thing um and even when people like in my family completely different views but it's not to say that i'm not going to argue like i personally don't agree with their values but it's not to say that theirs is unjust they they deserve that opinion they deserve to have the values that they lead because that's the way that they've had their mixture of um, Experience in experiences life in life and their biological their hormones and, and how they've grew up and it because it was a different time it doesn't mean that it was right or wrong yeah um, that's something I do appreciate is that one of the things that, that often gets talked about is what's right and wrong and there and isn't that always right frustrates me because there's no such thing as right and wrong no it's just right and wrong by what you consider to be now and, um, I'd prefer to say agree and disagree because 
I just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean that, and you uh, don't agree with me so doesn't mean that I'm wrong. It just means we have different values within the way that we live in the world. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what, so, what do you think of things like? We've talked about it on the podcast before. Uh, hate speech laws and uh, things like in Canada where they have like a law about mis uh, mister doing the, the wrong pronoun for people. Yeah, misidentifying people's pronouns. Yeah. Um, I think it is a very important thing because, um, like I said, if someone chooses to identify through the mixture of um, socially learned thing and that's how they choose to identify, it's obviously um, linked, everything's linked with like subconscious and your mental health and everything. And if you... <coughs> Sorry. Um, if it, it struggles you to say one word the right, a different way to what you've systematically learned, um, you need to appreciate that um, you may get it wrong, but try and put an effort into learning because if it's innately learned into someone's mental health and that's how they identify it, it can be detrimental to how someone... That's a very fair and reasonable point. I think it has to go both ways, though, as well. I yeah. think there has to be some idea. Uh, yeah, and I think most people, a lot of people tend to be um, read within the community, LGBT community, as if we're so irate. As soon as you do something wrong, we're like mouth off and we're like massive like left-wing speakers. Well, uh, which I've, I've had experience of that myself. I think people have had experience of it, and it, like it's such a minority, and people tend, like I said earlier on in the conversation, people canonise that just because it's one thing. Yeah. And like that seems to stick in their brain. 99 people could say one thing, but... Yeah. That, but I do... I have seen that myself, and those... I think like what we're talking about as extremists are the ones that sort of ruin everything for everyone. And uh, it, it's annoying that people on each side try and... Um, use that as an excuse for the whole majority. Because to me, the biggest thing is context and intent. So, like, if I misgender you, I haven't even asked your gender pronoun. Mine, yeah. I personally identify as he, him. Right, okay. And uh, there was a point in my life where I did question my gender uh, or my pronouns, but um, through exploring that performance with the mixture of emotions, feelings, mental health, fashion, mm -hmm. I've come to realise and have the value that I am he, him. So, on the subject of fashion, yep. right, do you think in any way that there is a certain amount that it is quite fashionable to be talking about these things and to be identifying this in these ways now? Do you um, think there's a section of people who kind of want to be part of these sorts of things? I think a lot of people want to be part of the conversation to seem like they're an ally and the issue is um, with like conversations before about feminism as well mm -hmm. unless you're actively uh, progressing the human rights of that majority or that community um, then how can you call yourself an ally And but then opening up a discussion about it is great it doesn't mean and that is helping. It doesn't automatically mean that you're an ally. But um, so, what is this term ally? Because that's something that's come up very recently. Is like even that's just been changed into the. I saw something where it changed recently from LGBTQ plus to LGBTQA plus. Yeah, but there's, there's so many of that 
acronym. Mm. Um, and most of the time, it just does get put under the umbrella term of LGBT plus. Or so what would an ally be? An ally, it can be in any term of like uh, social injustice, so racism. If you're an ally against uh, racism or LGBT, so they're marginalised communities uh, through society. If you're an ally, you're actively... Um, normally an ally is someone who doesn't identify with that community but puts in the social practices and performance to aid and help and progress the human rights of... When you say the performances to help that, what do you mean by performance? Just how they live their life. Right. So someone, so for example, someone that would say, oh, look, you know, this is my business and it's a safe space, but I'm, you know, cisgendered and heterosexual. Yeah. Right. So this is something I wanted to ask you on the subject of it, because I posted a load of stuff on Instagram fairly recently about it, about the need for safe spaces, specifically within tattooing. Do you think there is a need for it? Um, specifically within tattooing, I think... What's your experience of being in ta uh, like a, the tattoo world? Because this isn't your first tattoo, is it? No. Um, being in tattoo and piercing shops, it changes depending on the location as well. I think because London is so multicultural, I've not had an issue personally in this location. Mm -hmm. But back at home, which tends to be a majority white, heterosexual place it's not like it's um, it's not like I'm being forced to go there or it's not like anything that happens there is that bad it just I don't feel always comfortable there around the conversation or what sort of conversations would you not feel comfortable a lot of like terminology that's used I've heard like the use blatant use of like the F word um, and the M word. And the what? And the M words. M or N? N. N, right. Yeah, so just within regards to yeah. race and um, sexuality, a lot of times um, words are used that shouldn't be used in those spaces or... Um, they shouldn't be used in any space. In any space, yeah. And the fact that this is a professional establishment that is providing a service to someone... Um, and th it's actually just more of a detriment to their business because yeah. they're going to lose clients. Mm, absolutely. To me, it's a strange thing of like um, declaring yourself a safe space because to me, like a safe space is something where people just do as you should do, basic human yeah. decency in life anyway. So it's kind of like, well, it's almost like, do I need to have a sign going, yeah, I will just, I'm not going to be an asshole. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because... There's few. There's a few people that are assholes. Because my experience, and I, I made a point of saying this when, when I was posting on it in Instagram, is I've been in the tattoo world for 20 years now, getting tattooed, and 15 years being a tattooist. And my experience of the tattoo world is that it's always been very welcoming, and especially in London, worked very hand in hand with the LGBT yeah plus community. Yeah, a lot of the movement towards tattooing and piercing came from the community and um, like I was saying before um, earlier on how like I have lecturers that work within who that personally identify as homosexual or gay but they're 
their work and their scholarly writing, some of them have like six published books mm -hmm. and it's all about body modification, piercing. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it's very unconventional to have a lecturer that is covered all arms, neck, and a lot of his body in piercings and tattoos. And a lot of the work that they did was self-piercing and tattooing. Because mm -hmm. the thing, the thing within the the tattoo world that sort of I've noticed recently is there is seem to be a move towards declaring your tattoo studio as a safe space. And to yeah. me, the world of tattooing has always been welcoming and a safe space for everyone, regardless of how you identify, regardless of anything. Yeah. Um, and so to me, it's a bit like, well, it's almost creating a divide that has never been there to me. Yeah. That's how I seem to see it. Yeah, safe spaces were created uh, in other situations um, where you tend to want to fit in with society. So, like, a lot of clubs you see in Soho. Soho, clubs, bars, um, is meant is places that are created as a safe space for people who identify within this community to feel as if they can be themselves and explore their sexuality and promiscuity within a space where everyone feels welcome mm. and which evidently isn't always um, even like things like social things that and you tend to want to explore or enjoy which is music fashion mm -hmm. you can't do in like heteronormative so spaces like straight clubs why um, would you not be able to explore that in those places because a lot of time from that can, can come violence right um, and like receiving it myself I've been in a gay bar um, and because it's allowed access to because we obviously it's a space where it's meant to be safe for LGBTQ but we don't want to discriminate because that's what, the thing that we faced in yep. the straight clubs so we everyone's welcome but a lot of the time you have the issue then of um, homophobic people coming into spaces where I've been in a club before and I've been called fat I've been called with what in a in a gay club? Yeah, in a gay bar by a couple making off in the corner, and like people and just different people have been called um, queer, the f word. I've been called fat and just you know shamed what, like, for who I am. So I've been I've, just to sort of counter that. Just as just I've gone to loads and loads of gay clubs because gay clubs are fucking good fun. Yeah, They're really enjoyable. And I, the thing that I've always enjoyed about gay clubs is just people feeling free that they can let loose and just be who they want to be without all trying to like It's because that's the reason tough. it's a safe space because a lot of the but, times you can't do that. But in places like that, I've had people abuse me because I'm straight. I'll yeah. go there with like, I've been there with ex-girlfriends and things like that. And I've had people shouting things at me and calling me a breeder and shit like that. Yeah. And, and like telling again, me that I shouldn't be there. <laughs> that's another minority. And I think it's because the space obviously was created for... Do, yeah. um, socio-historically like marginalised community like the fact that yeah. still in the world if I was to move to a different geographical location or a different country I could be hung murdered killed put in prison for life yeah. just for being who I am which isn't harming anyone 
if I just the fact that that can still happen it's fucking mental um, it's and fucking I think mental. that's an issue where um, why safe spaces need to be there because a lot of the time spaces for white straight people they don't need to be there because that is the normative practice it always has been in history yeah. that they're in social hierarchical kind of status within regards to status the top person is a white straight male. So to bring that round to back to tattooing, this is one of the reasons yeah. why I started talking about it is because I personally don't see a need for safe spaces in tattooing because the majority of tattoo studios are already safe spaces. Yeah. The majority of tattoo studios are already places that are welcoming of everyone regardless because what tattooing has been is an outsider culture. Yeah. And outsider cultures already feel marginalised from society anyway. This is why I brought up punk as well and coming from the punk scene because that's a culture that already feels marginalised and so what I've seen happen is all of this automatically go hand in hand yeah. so I've seen the, the punk scene <coughs> the, you know the tattoo scene and the piercing scene all go hand in hand with like LGBT plus communities all of the time I've been a tattooist not 100% obviously but you can't say that for 100% of people because you're always going to get a minority of people that are dickheads and in tattooing you do still get a minority of people that are dickheads yeah but for the most for the majority my experience is tattoo shops are already safe they're already places where anyone who I know who I've tattooed for like 10 years or more who identifies as anything within the LGBT plus community all sort of have said well, I've always felt comfortable I've always felt yeah. safe I've never felt attacked I've, I've never, never felt marginalised to declare that so I, I think it's just so it's, it's the thing about it is with the in tattooing I think the thing that bothers me is the, the now with a younger generation who don't necessarily know the historical side of tattooing are starting to feel that if someone doesn't define themselves as a safe space that they're not going to be which is unfair so it's creating a divide that has never been there doesn't yeah. need to be there which comes through education but I also think an issue like within the trend of, or like the idea of piercing and tattoo um, tattooing it, a lot of trends that people from minorities trend, tend to create um, for music mm-hmm. punk for outsiders and like dance music and trance music was and like was often created by a lot of like queer people Um, and all that has been adapted and taken um, by on by heterosexual people which I think people tend to see that or like socially the image for tattooing is big strong straight white blokes with tattoos I think that's like a national image that's pushed out if you're not educating yourself and I think if you just see that surface image, I think it, a lot of the time it would put but people off. You've quite rightly said if you don't educate yourself. So is the onus not on the person to educate themselves rather than to make the assumption um, that, it I think is, it, that it is? I think it's a mixture of both. I think as well as educate themselves, I think as someone who works in the field, they should make a conscious effort to open up the discussions like you're doing on this podcast mm. and like have the conversations because if if you want to represent this field of work then you should be the one that that has been uh, historically a like transgressive like outside thing the thing I think part of the reason it frustrates me is because I already feel like we have 
I already feel like we've welcomed everyone all the time and yeah. constantly over the last 20 years the majority of people who I know who are good tattooists who are reasonable people have gone everyone come on get involved we're all cool with all of you and we've all done that over and over and over again and then when you're told that you're not it's a bit frustrating where it's a bit like why do I need to suddenly declare my, this is a safe space because I've, I've been working all of the time I've been tattooing the issue of like word of mouth space. and a lot of these things are like hand in hand transactions between one on one person mm. and because it's not pushed into like a mediated image yeah a lot of people don't see it uh, the, the thing that frustrates me though is like do you understand where I'm coming from with like having 15 years of working yeah. in tattooing and making it so you've that gone everyone through is welcome people. to now feel like there's a divide and that if I don't outwardly declare it as being a safe space that, that it's not when it's like I've fucking worked to make this whole culture that, you know and people yeah. who are of my generation that's what happened when I put that I put out a load of things about it on on Instagram everyone that's been tattooing for 10 years or more came back and just went this is ridiculous it's something that doesn't need to be talked about it's always been cool it's always been safe yeah and it's frustrating that a younger generation because they don't think it's safe feel that we need to start making a point of declaring it as safe when we've already done everything we can to make it safe it's like how much more do you want what do you want me to do do you want yeah. me to just change the name of the tattoo studio to this is safe for everyone, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think it's because, like, the idea, like we were saying before, like, everything changes. Mm. And it's just from both positions, the idea of both positions as tattoo artists and a customer, you both need to educate yourself to the histories and the changes. Yeah. Um, and even though when you get... And it's that... Just even if it's cha making a small change, I don't think it's detrimental to your values as especially as a business if one small change as declaring that see the thing I have a problem with outwardly declaring it is that then that again puts pressure on other tattooists who are all cool who I know but are then cool you're gonna for them to do it and then everyone has to kind of it's a feeling that you have to do it. And then have the problem that ends up happening is everyone will just automatically declare it as a safe space, which means that yeah. we're just back in the position that we but were But then you'll before. have issues with, like, people who, are, people who are, like, heterosexual, but mainly, like, homophobic will have then issues with going to a space that's a safe space. Yeah, somewhat. And the other <laughs> thing about it that I think is, how do I, how do I guarantee this is a safe space? Well, all I can guarantee is that personally I have no problems how you identify who you are what you think about your race your religion your, your background your sexuality your gender or whatever I don't care yeah it's n I, I have no problem with any of it right be who you want to be as long as you're happy and as long as you're not hurting anyone who's not consenting fine right so how do I like I don't know, man. Like, how do I guarantee then that this studio's safe? Because I can't then... All I can guarantee is that I'm like that. I can't guarantee that any of the customers in the shop aren't going to outwardly say things against you, aren't going to say things homophobic, aren't going to say things... I don't think it's a thing transphobic. that you can control. So then how can you say that it's a safe space? It's an issue that's, again, that has to be tested and tried and you can't there's not one result and there never will be one result and it's no. just a thing of just because a safe space works for one person it doesn't mean it's going to work for another and no that's true um, 
if it doesn't work for the company or the people. I think Cause essentially, in old sorry. ways of like businesses or like even when I was growing up as a kid, the way that you would want to go in to like a new shop or like a new barber's or new anything yeah. would be like testimonies or word of mouth. Yep, absolutely. And which would come through a lot. So like me going out now and then and saying, God, he questioned everything I thought about <laughs> my, my identity. <laughs> But that, that's the thing. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like you're you're sort of pointing out what I'm trying to get across as well. It's like, yeah. is there then a need for me to outwardly declare it? Because hope, I would hope that you would go away from here and go, okay, he's cool, and but then you know, tell your friends, and then your friends would know where it is cool and where it isn't. Again, it's the issue of me speaking for other people. I personally, I'm a very headstrong person that feels comfortable within my own security and identity. That the fact that I don't need that label mm-hmm. of a safe space but I yeah. know people who do because they feel you like could, you can uh, like you were saying before what it used to be is how it used to work would be these things would change on word of mouth so you, yeah. you would tell your friends what they you they th- you think to them and then they would possibly listen to that and go and that's how these things perpetuated which places were safe and which places weren't were by word of mouth which yeah. I actually and think is probably the better way of doing and it and that's something I would personally do yeah, but that's me, and I can't talk again for an entire community. I'm just one person within that community. Absolutely. I just personally, again, but then I, you know, I can't talk for the entire community of tattooing. Obviously, I can yeah. just talk from my experience of tattooing, and uh, my view is, yeah, how is it? How is how are things a problem when it was word of mouth? Like, how is that a problem? Because it would get around. If if tattoo studios like it would always get around. There were tattoo studios that I knew of where the people, the owners, were assholes and you know, or homophobic or anything like that. It would get around in a matter of minutes. Yeah, everyone would know, and so everyone within that community would go, "Don't go there," and then it works itself out. Which is why I don't necessarily see a need to sort of outwardly declare it and make it more of a problem for everyone else. I just see it becoming more of a problem rather than stopping being a problem, you know? Yeah. I think one of the things that I think about everything societally is that what we're doing a lot is creating divides by language and how we identify things where there was no divides before. And that, that then doesn't help to progress anything, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's just a conversation that needs to be had multiple times. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a really fair way of putting it, that it, it's just something that needs to be talked about. And this is part and of And there'll never be a full resolve, because no, not everyone will ever agree. No. But if you have an open dialogue, it makes it easier to go about. Absolutely. And this is part of the reason why I want to talk to you on the podcast about this, because that's exactly what it is. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If you have, do all the uh, good things like like it, subscribe, follow, whatever platform you're on, they're they're different. Uh, Tell your friends though, that's the most important thing. Tell other people because that's word of mouth, that's how things get around. We've just discussed it in this podcast. Cheers, thanks and all that.